like everyone that wanted to join us has joined us. So with that, welcome to the Tuesdays at 2 presentation with your MEC. We do appreciate all of you joining us this afternoon. It's uh, really good to see the involvement, see our guys joining, our pilots joining this call, guys and gals. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out to, to get the message straight from the MEC. That's your best source of information. With that being said, I'll let you know we are going to record this today, and we will edit it and put it up on our various media outlets, uh, being uh, YouTube, our podcast channel, anywhere you get your podcasts, you'll be able to replay this presentation. And I've gotten a couple of darts from various members. They've asked, hey, when are these things going to be up online? Well, understand it, it takes a little time. I do have to edit this to put it into a format that I can upload to YouTube as well as the podcast. And those are different formats. One's a video, one's a MP3 uh, audio. So that takes a little bit of time. That's not terrible. But we do also have to vet these through our ELPA legal team. ELPA Legal needs to make sure that everything that is being said and has been said is is good to go out for kind of a public broadcast, right? So it does take us a little bit of time to get things going. With that being said, understand this is recorded, so please don't try to summarize, take snapshots or screen recordings or anything like that and try to rebroadcast them onto any kind of social media or even distributing amongst your friends. I, I get it. You want to help out. You want to get the message out, but please, please direct your friends, colleagues to our official outlets where they can get this information straight from the MEC, the most accurate information, and it, it remains in context, right? So we appreciate that. We're going to take some Q&A. I'm sure Eric will take that at the end. Please, please ask questions. I'm sure if you're thinking it, somebody else is. But uh, remember, this is, is recorded. Let's stay professional. If you need to rant, you need to get it out. You really have something that that we need to know about, hey, we're always available. Myself, Will, Eric, our phone numbers, emails, all of that's published. Please contact us if you need to really, really scream and let loose and, and get the frustration out. We understand a lot of frustration to be had for everyone right now. So with that being said, I am going to kick things over to Eric. Looks like he's got some slides for us all ready to go. And uh, Eric, take us away. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining. Um, yeah, I'm just going to roll right into the slide deck here. Uh, this slide, um, uh, we've been talking about this for quite some time, right? Uh, don't risk your career, right? Um, uh, the burden to catch errors is being placed on the pilot. Uh, truly, safety department is super, super thin. Um, and training really, truly is not providing the resources that, that pilots need to succeed, right? So um, uh, along with that, SOC is thin, the operation is stressed. Uh, know that I hear the same things from uh, other corners in the industry, right? Uh, the stuff that we're seeing in our training department with non-seniority list instructors, kind of pencil whipping lessons and the like, uh, I am seeing this kind of all over, just a deterioration of uh, what the expectations and the bar has been, right? Uh, where we just see, um, you know, non-senior list instructors who are uh, simply not 
instructing, not giving students um, standardized instruction uh, that is in line with our book. And what's happening is people are getting into their check rides and they just simply don't have, um, uh, you know, some country procedures or standardization. And they get a look from an examiner who goes, what, what are these things that you're doing? They're not some country procedures, right? Um, truly, uh, this is very, very difficult stuff to hear because, you know, our job is to try and protect this pilot group. And um, the kinds of things I'm hearing uh, are, are very difficult, right? Uh, people in upgrade who just simply go, you know, and I'm talking, you know, four-year FOs who are going through upgrade going, I, I just can't succeed at this, not because of skill set, but just because I, there's not enough training to make it over the bar. Um, also hearing from, you know, eight, nine year captains who are going in to do sim fills verbatim, right? Nobody should be subject to this training department. Um, that is not a good place to be. And we're very concerned and we're bringing, you know, pressure up to the highest levels of the company, uh, including Jude. Uh, we do have a, an update with Jude uh, November 6th uh, with the MEC to discuss um, changes that have uh, been implemented, hopefully, um, since the last time we spoke with Jude. And uh, we, we just need to do better. And I, I like I said, the rest of the industry is stressed, too. But that doesn't mean that it's acceptable here. And it's our job to stop it here. Right. Um. I want to talk a little bit about the Miami C speaks for me message, right? Uh, the company is getting better at doing their labor strategy, right? They have a divide and conquer strategy, um, you know, very aggressive uh, labor policy. Um, you know, the way that you beat that is solidarity, transparency, and consensus building. Um, I definitely hear the the stresses in the pilot group, right, uh, and the lack of trust. But know that we're here uh, to provide transparency, build consensus, and solidarity, right? Uh, know that when management is reaching out to you, uh, maybe because you're struggling in the training department, wants to go out to lunch, right? That that what that is uh, is an a, an attempt to um, undermine our voice, right? We are your voice. We are a reflection of the pilot group. And when we go to management and we say these, these are the problems in training, right, um, and they circumnavigate that conversation to go to someone directly, uh, they're not hearing the message Miami C speaks for me. And that is a problem. And this pilot group is going to have to realize that they're undermining themselves by um, circumnavigating the MEC. Uh, it's a tough spot to be in. Uh, we've got a lot of people who haven't spent a lot of time uh, in a unionized shop, right? And uh, truly, uh, they need to trust that we are looking out for their interests. And um, and truly, we are yeah, every day, all day long, right? All right. Uh, 
Tuesdays at two, what we're going to go over today. I got some news stuff to go over. Um, and then uh, we'll get into a, a quick review of uh, the fatigue program basics. I'm going to move through those slides pretty quick uh, and then get into a uh, conversation on 25K3 and K10, uh, which has to do with the improper use of the uh, available for reassignment uh, concept that is in uh, in the contract which is supposed to be for a cancellation of your trip prior to the report time, like the day prior, prior to 11 o'clock. Um, and the e-crew use of the coding of TAP. Um, this is in a really odd spot because of the, the TAP coding. Uh, just to give you a little context here, right? Time available period is what that TAP is supposed to mean. Um, we have time of available periods on time of available trips. And that has nothing to do with uh, the available for reassignment definition in 25K10, uh, which is, as you'll see through the slide deck today, what was happening when this pilot uh, is a cancellation, um, return to domicile, release, and then this tap coding. Uh, which uh, that TAP code doesn't point at what you would think it is, which is a time of available trip and time of available period, right? Which is really like an out of domicile uh, reserve notion, right? Um, so the available for reassignment, this has to do with the cancellation uh, the day prior or even earlier than that, like 10 days prior to your trip, uh, that trip cancels. And there's uh, this uh, provision in 25K10, which allows the company to try and recoup some of that productivity. Um, and the TAP coding in eCrew is pointing at the available free assignment language in 25K10. So anyways, we'll get into it uh, very quickly. So uh, there's about 30 slides. Uh, like I said, I'm going to move through some of them pretty quick um, and then try to get to some Q&A. I know there's a lot of questions about PBS and long trips and uh, all the rest of it, right? So a lot of stuff going on. That's why we're here to, to provide some uh, uh, time with Q&A, and we'll try to get there as quick as we can. Uh, on the news front, um, so the MEC did ratify the PBS LOA uh, yesterday. Uh, the LOA itself is 127 pages. Uh, has an additional LOA uh, implementation letter that goes with it. Um, know that all of the NavBlue bidding parameters are included. Um, and this is, uh, I mean, uh, a very long document. Um, they're not specifically published in the LOA. Uh, and you would see that typically in a PBS LOA where you'd see the bidding parameters. We just simply have one sentence that says we'll have all of the bidding parameters of NavBlue, um, which is great. It's fantastic for the pilot group. Huge win for us, right? Um, uh, you should be able to find the TA uh, likely today, tomorrow, posted on Comply365 if you want to read through it. Please understand as you're reading through it um, that we haven't had time to process and present uh, the information yet, right? Um, I've seen this many, many times before with very large, very complex um, uh, LOAs um, that, you know, people will read things in isolation, don't understand the context, get rooted there, have some amount of uh, discontent or anger with a certain section. And then you go through the presentation, talk about how it works and what it actually does. Um, and uh, just 
please, if you're going to read ahead uh, before we get to doing presentations, understand that um, uh, you might need a little context to understand how some of this works. Uh, it is highly, highly technical, right? Um, as to the MEC ratification of the uh, of the LOA, we can dig into this in the Q&A, certainly. Just understand um, the company expressed uh, a very real concern about uh, the pilot group grasping the TA and possibly um, voting the TA down to essentially poke the company in the eye, right? I think they're a little afraid, uh, a little gun shy given the FA uh, flight attendant um, ratification vote and had a lot of fear there, right? Know that this is um, <laughs> one, it is a significant win for this pilot group um, because we did something to negotiate something in uh, a very tough labor um, context and succeeded outside of arbitrations, right? Uh, most of what you're seeing in terms of negotiating these days is coming through arbitration uh, simply because that's where the company is obligated to engage uh, under the Railway Labor Act, right? Um, and to have completed something successfully outside of arbitration is actually a, a World Series win. This is a big deal here. Um, it might not seem like that given, you know, a year and a half ago, we were doing interest-based bargaining and things were worked much differently. Uh, but the company sets the labor policy. Here we are. And um, we successfully landed the plane on what is a very, very standard uh, PBS LOA. Um, it is a good system. And certainly, uh, we should discuss just a little bit, right, the fact that uh, when the company kind of exposed their concern um, about ratification and expressed that they were going to pull out of uh, the negotiations unless they could secure MEC ratification, that gives us the ability to say, listen, uh, the product then has to be uh, good. Right. Uh, it has to be essentially a no brainer where you would um, definitely vote it in. Right. Uh, and then we could hold the company to that bar, which is exactly what we did. And they moved through 13 issues, which were very contentious to them. We could be having a very different conversation right now uh, about arbitration and having an arbitrated outcome uh, from uh, a PBS negotiations, which we would have lost ground in, right? Uh, instead, we have a very industry standard, really good, solid uh, PBS LOA. Uh, for those folks who um, know uh, what the other LOAs look like across the industry, um, they would say this is a really good standard LOA, right? So we're in a good spot. Uh, it is a win. Um, and right knowing um kind of the context of the labor policy that we are currently living with um a pretty big success so uh by all means ask a bunch of questions about mec ratification how that works why uh, why it works the way that it does um and uh, give some color to what's going on here but um Anyways, we'll get to that. So the next steps are going to involve uh, NavBlue programming. Um, we're going to have Zillin and uh, and Tim work on this, so we have some institutional knowledge, uh, you know, contractual knowledge uh, as they work through the programming in order to make sure that we're not um, breaking other things in the contract, right? And 
the JPWG uh, is forecasting um, either a Q3 of 24 or Q1 of 25. We've seen dates like this slip, right? Obviously, ELP, the paper, payroll program, is now you know better than 10 months late. So um, just understand what NavBlue is saying. This is the resources they have in terms of programmers uh, in order to do the work. They're likely looking at turning this on Q3 of 24, Q1 of 25. Uh, crew meal reimbursements. There's a really significant backlog here. Um, it was about 1,000 uh, forms. Uh, we're down to about 800. Uh, they've doubled the amount of processing, right? So uh, O'Gara and Kitch will go in and meet with um, the people on the company side who are doing the processing. And uh, just know that um, we're going to work through this as fast as we can. It's a pretty um, crazy amount of work there, right? Uh, 800 issue forms is all, it's just a lot. Um, just want to remind everybody there is no dollar amount on reimbursement. The company had um, a part of why the backlog grew is they had kind of self-imposed a $25 limit. Um, with the people who were processing, we went to the upper levels of the uh, company and said, hey, this isn't what this LOA says or what it was meant to do. Um, you're going to have to talk to the people who made this up. And they went and had that conversation. Um, truly, right, uh, getting uh, a pizza delivered out to the middle of uh, O'Hare's cargo ramp is probably going to cost some serious money. Um, the idea was you're going to get the food, the operation keeps moving, and uh, whatever the expense is for that food. We're having very little pushback uh, on the dollar amount so long as it is not we're seeing some stuff where guys are buying, you know, liquor on their way home or something like that. That's going to get denied. Um, that is not what the idea was when we set this up. And uh, truly, you know, when the company has to spend $300 to get a pizza out to the middle of O'Hare's cargo ramp, uh, they're doing that and they understand that, right? Um, delays. Uh, so there was some notion on the company's part that um, – if there were delays to your schedule, they were only obligated for what was your scheduled duty day. That isn't the case. Um, also, uh, the Amazon cold meals, right? There's no ovens. There was some logic going on that because there was no ovens, there was no obligation to provide a warm meal. Uh, that is not the case. Um, that has been uh, essentially in, in labor terms parked. Uh, because they don't have the ovens. They're trying to provide a higher quality meal. If that meal is falling short, uh, we need to know about that, right? Um, variety remains a clear issue. Uh, they're not meeting the bar on variety. Uh, and if you need to file, file, right? Uh, also want to talk a little bit about uh, the pictures of the food, right? Hard to show a, a picture of a meal that wasn't delivered, right? So if you didn't get a meal, submit the form, you didn't get the meal. Uh, if you're making claims of the food being soggy or inedible, open it up and show it, right? Um, the food closed up with a picture uh, doesn't um, support the claim that it's uh, inedible, right? Uh, it's a really simple claim when you show the food and, and it's inedible. You say it's inedible, it's inedible. Um what we're not seeing, right, and what this program was designed to do is create feedback loops, right, a process 
uh, to improve the delivery and the quality of the food. That work is not being done. Um, that was part of uh, why we wanted to keep this in the chief pilot's office. The company's moved it into catering. It's not the right place for this processing. We're working on that conversation. And certainly returning uh, this issue to the arbitrator uh, remains a possibility, right? Uh, the arbitrator retained jurisdiction on this settlement. And given the uh, staggering amount of um, uh, crew meal issues, uh, certainly going back to the arbitrator to have another discussion, uh, definitely remains in the realm of possibility in the near future. Uh, we did pass the company a COVID LOA. Our original COVID LOA protections uh, ended. Um, that said, uh, we are seeing uh, a significant uptick in COVID uh, positive cases, right? Uh, our concern here uh, is that we see operational integrity start to fall apart if people are coming to work sick, right? Uh, and without some protection uh, for people's sick banks, there's a, a motivation to come to work. We've been dealing with uh, several uh, pilots who have expressed, you know, hey, I just upgraded. I don't feel comfortable uh, not calling in sick, um, right? And that, that just isn't doable. If you're sick, stay home. Uh, let us work on uh, on the sick bank issue, right? Uh, we have not seen um, any response from the company other than they are working on their response. So um, hopefully soon they'll want to get together and talk about that, right? Uh, the pre-bid uh, process for trips uh, or long trips, right? Uh, the company has finally agreed to meet. Uh, they're indicating that they will not make any movement forward, uh, which is problematic, right? Um, the company views that LOA as temporary um, if it would get re-upped uh, until PBS and then it ends. Uh, I think, you know, we're seeing quite a bit of uh, a cry to just, you know, get them back in place. And yeah, I want to satisfy the, the commuter desire to work the way the commuter wants to work. Um, and truly, the commuters uh, don't want to be subject to, you know, one, two, three, four day trips. That's not ideal, right? Uh, two, six days. Um, the 12-day trip from the long trips, that's what we're looking to do. Uh, and this is about people being able to, you know, work in a way that they want to work, right? And if there's not uh, additional costs incurred, uh, the company should try to make that possible. And I think there's probably an upgrade solution here as well, uh, which is more or less free by creating a, uh, a pre-bid. Um, we're going to push for, you know, moving uh, five and six day, uh, eight day, 12 day, uh, all into a pre-bid. Um, that is really what needs to happen in order to make the uh, the upgrades start to happen. We also would just like to see the the longer trips come back. Uh, there's clearly pilot demand for that, right? Um, note that the PBS LOA has a six day trip length limit. Okay, so anything longer than um, six days would be placed into open time at premium pay. That is definitely going to change some people's views on, you know, the, say, 12-day, you know, military junket out into the desert, right? Um, when that thing pays at 150% at minimum, right? Um, uh, the pre-bid would undermine that, right? But at the same time, this gives us a little bit more leverage in the conversation to create the pre-bid, right? Because if the company wants to do longer trips and have them pay at straight pay, a pre-bid is the tool for that. 
Um, so there's there's some stuff moving in the background. Understand that some of those things are kind of the domain of the negotiating committee and their strategy, right? Um, so I'm going to leave it at that. Um, a little bit of review on the fatigue process, right? So what happens when you call in fatigued? Uh, some of you saw this in our uh, Tuesdays at 2 last week. I'm going to move through it fairly quickly. Uh, so if you haven't seen this before, uh, it might go a little bit fast, but feel free to ask questions, right? Um, so here's uh, the formal grievance, right? The fact set uh, is down in the bottom here. Uh, I've, you know, kind of bluntly redlined out the, uh, the pilots involved. Uh, so, um, crew called in fatigue to crew scheduling. Um, LOA 1903 requires that the pilot should have been immediately removed from the remainder of their trip and connected with the supervisor of flying to work together on a plan to receive rest and return to duty. Uh, instead, the pilots were called by crew scheduling and pressured um, into giving a specific time for their planned return to duty. Further, approximately 12 hours later, the pilots were again uh, contacted by crew scheduling and pressured into providing an anticipated return to duty time. Uh, this is a violation of 1903 paragraph B section 12 G3A uh, as once the pilots called in fatigue, they should have been immediately removed from the remainder of the trip, connected with the SOF and put into a legal rest period. Um, so that's just the, the facts set of the grievance. We'll work through a little bit of the language here, right? Uh, section 12G3A, this is now where the fatigue policy reside, resides, okay? So um, a pilot must contact crew scheduling when he is unable to report for or continue flight operations due to fatigue. <laughs> Important part here, right? Crew scheduling will contact the pilot with the SOF who will work, um, or crew scheduling will connect the pilot with the SOF who will work together on a plan to receive rest and return to duty. The way that this was contemplated, right, the connecting part means transferred to the SOF. Um, this isn't a three-party call. Uh, this was to provide the uh, the pilot who was calling in fatigued with some separation from crew scheduling, who at the time that we wrote this was keeping a black book of pilots who were calling in fatigued and then uh, seeking retribution um, by assigning them, you know, red eyes uh, for the rest of the month um, or other, uh, you know, kind of um, difficult flight operations, right? Uh, truly, the idea was you were going to call crew scheduling, you were going to ask to talk to the SOF, and then you could have your your fatigue call uh, conversation with the SOF, um, who would then just simply tell crew scheduling to remove the pilot from duty. Um, yeah, all right. So the last sentence there, paying credit for the assignment for which the pilot called in fatigued will remain on the pilot's crew allowance report until reviewed by the FRB. Uh, you weren't supposed to suffer a loss in pay coded by the crew scheduler, right? Um, that was a decision that was supposed to be made by the fatigue review board, uh, who was just determining whether the um, fatigue call was operationally induced or induced by the uh, choices and behavior of the pilot, right? Um, so couple quick questions here, right? So uh, do I need to tell crew scheduling that I'm fatigued? No, you do not. You do not have to call up and say, hey, I'm fatigued, connect me with the, with the SOF. Just say, I want to talk to the SOF, right? Uh, the pilot need only contact crew scheduling and ask to speak with the SOF. That's all the obligation is, right? 
Uh, crew scheduling connects the pilot to the supervisor of flying. After connected with the SOF, the pilot tells the SOF that they're fatigued and the pilot uh, and the SOF work together on a plan. That plan can be as simple as um, I'll give you a call, right? Or I'll give the SOF on duty a call when I'm ready to work together uh, again, right? Um, there is no obligation here on the part of the pilot to provide a time uh, at which they can be scheduled again. Um, you don't know, you're not making good decisions, you're fatigued, right? I'll give you a call when I'm feeling better, right? Crew scheduling's involvement in this was only supposed to be so far as they know who the SOF is on duty, right? You don't have to go down a call list of people who are the SOFs and find the one who's on duty. You just call crew scheduling. They they have the calendar of the people who are on duty, the telephone, personal telephone numbers of the SOF, right? And then they're going to connect uh, with the SOF. Um, there is no obligation to have a fatigue conversation with crew scheduling under uh, our contract. Uh, can I call in fatigued without talking to the SOF? Uh, I think I've kind of beat this one to death, but no. Um, crew scheduling is just the point of initial contact uh, to facilitate the connection to the SOF. After connected with the SOF, the pilot and the SOF have that fatigue discussion, right? Um, that's about it. Um, what else is required, uh, right? So you need to fill out a fatigue report, right? Um, most of the SOFs are really good about reminding the pilot they have an obligation to fill out the fatigue report. Uh, the fatigue report is incredibly important. Um, it is a huge part of our fatigue program. Um, and part of the reason that the company was willing to have a non-punitive um, fatigue program, right, is to create the data then that data would be assessed and acted on uh, by the FRC, right, um, which is the other body um, that uh, is part of the fatigue program. Uh, and they're supposed to make recommendations based on these fatigue calls uh, as to what kind of operations we should or shouldn't be running, right? Um, you know, that FRC is supposed to have all of these data points um, in order to improve fatigue on this property. Right. That's why uh, the company, uh, they're, they're basically buying the report from you. Right. They want to know uh, what caused the fatigue so they can kind of eradicate that stuff from the operation. All right. Uh, on that note, right, do I have to call in fatigue to file a fatigue report? No, you absolutely do not have to call in fatigue. We uh, part of this fatigue program allows you to uh, file a fatigue report if during the course of the operation you're starting to feel fatigued right um like you're you're in route you're flying right uh over the course of a a six leg or uh, sorry a six hour leg you might mean three hour leg two hour leg you might feel fatigued right and we need to know about that and uh, be able to act on that as a data point um so uh that is an improvement i think over most of the other fatigue programs in the industry. Uh, it does fit with um, the FAA's guidance on SMS and fatigue programs. Um, and you can file a fatigue report after the completion of the pairing. You know, you 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 get back into domicile and the next day you go, man, I'm really still feeling that pairing. It's really, that uh, was pretty rough. And I should file a fatigue report so that people understand and know that that particular type of operation that I did um, was very fatiguing. 
right? That gives the FRC the ability to look at that. If they're seeing a lot of the similar data points, they can then say, hey, you know, um, VP of flight operations, right? Uh, can you um, uh, issue uh, guidance on this and say, don't make this kind of uh, uh, kind of pairing anymore, right? Uh, so we do have a fatigue program that's also, like I said, non-punitive. You cannot be disciplined under our contract for the legitimate use of a fatigue call. If you are fatigued, call in fatigued, right? The only uh, decision that's made is how that fatigued situation came to be, right? Did you stay up too late playing video games? You misjudged, right? And now you can't can't do the work. Pilot-induced, right? That comes out of your sick bank, but you're not going to lose pay, um, operationally induced, right? Um, I've been flying 93 hour lines for the last year and a half and I'm completely exhausted and I, I'm coming back to work after three days of rest, but I can't get it straight. Operationally induced, right? And you're pay protected. Please file the fatigue reports, right? Uh, everyone uh, in flight ops is looking for those reports in order to make change. Please file the fatigue reports and call in fatigued when you are fatigued. All right, um, moving on into um, this uh, available for reassignment or e-crew coding of TAP uh, and how this was uh, misapplied to a pilot um, at the beginning of the month here, right? So um, just a review of the fact set. So uh, the grievance comes in, right? The pilot issue form comes to the grievance committee. Here's what's kind of the fact set, right? Uh, the pilot was scheduled for a five-day trip, September 28th to October 2nd. Um, on day two, right, they suffered some sort of mechanical problem. Uh, the airplane was not going to operate. A different crew was put on the rest of the uh, the pairing, uh, flowing out from Minneapolis. This crew was uh, simply deadheaded back into Minneapolis, put into, uh, into rest, into domicile rest, and placed on TRP coding, which is trip protection, right? That's the right thing. That's what should have happened. Uh, or, right, they could have been reassigned prior to being released into rest. Um, but what did actually happen is they were, uh, the rest of the trip ended for them. They were brought back into Minneapolis and trip protected. Um, later, uh, like a day later, right, uh, crew scheduling placed a Minneapolis Traverse City Minneapolis turn on day four and then a tap coating uh, preceding that flying. Um, nothing about this works. Uh, it, it is completely cordoned off by different provisions in the contract. And we're going to dig into that and pick it apart a little bit, right? So uh, here's kind of what... Um, uh, what this looks like, right? You can see the cancellation back on uh, the 31st here, and then on uh, the 1st of, of October, Sunday, right? You can see this tap coding here, um, and then the Traverse City turn, and then Monday, the last day of the original trip, uh, the TRP trip protection still remains, okay? Um, so crew scheduling's, you know, hunting for someone, trying, you know, fishing to get this guy to pick this thing up and, and notify. Uh, even if he had notified, there's a, a slew of uh, contract violations that follow, right? Um, there's just really no way to make this happen. Um, so uh, anyways, the time of availability code, right? That's an e-crew code. It's not a contractual thing. And like I said, there's a bunch of distortion there because we actually have time of availability trips and a different contactable uh, period that occurs there. Why they use the TAP code 
for um, a cancellation that occurs right prior to the report of the trip? Uh, I do not know, but that uh, understand TAP is not reserved. Get a lot of questions on that, even when TAP is uh, properly put on a pilot schedule, right? Uh, do I have to call back within, you know, two hours or any of that kind of stuff? No. Um, and we'll dig into what uh, what that availability period actually is, right? So what that availability period was supposed to do is 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 provide for the recovery of some of that productivity um, if they have another trip in open time, single trip that can be placed on the pilot, right? Um, there is no contactable period, no reserve time, and um, as you'll see, what's supposed to happen uh, if you have a trip that cancels in advance, right, in domicile, uh, you're supposed to check your schedule uh, the day prior to report before 11 o'clock, and then you get kind of two options from there, right? That's um, that's what TAP actually is. So, um, Here's where the language is, right? Section 25K10A, uh, and this is the header paragraph, and then we'll dig into the, the two options here that occur um, from the point where, you know, your cancellation has occurred, right? So if a pilot is available for reassignment, uh, for this paragraph, available for reassignment, in quotes, this is the definition now, right? Uh, means a pilot's trip or the first sequential duty periods of a pilot's trip cancel uh, prior to 1100 local domicile time the day prior to the start of a trip, uh, and he has not been reassigned to rejoin his original trip in domicile, or via deadhead, the following shall apply, right? So what has to happen here is the cancellation needs to occur uh, the day prior to report and then prior to 1100 on that day prior, right? Um, and you're not being reassigned to join your original trip, right? So you're just, you're off your entire trip. Um, you're not gonna get back on that trip. You have the footprint of the trip, uh, and the company has the ability to recapture some of that productivity uh, unless you make a decision otherwise, right? So option one under 25K10A1, the pilot may choose to be released without pay protection for the canceled flying, uh, provided he advises the company by 1100 on the day prior and cruise scheduling is not assigned to many flying. Um, or Option two, section 25K10A2, uh, the pilot will contact crew scheduling between 1500 and 1900, a local domicile time on the day prior to the originally scheduled trip for reassignment to a trip during the original trip hour period, right? So essentially what this boils down to is uh, I would like to just get released. I don't care about the pay. I'm going to take the days off. See you later, right? Um, or uh, the option is uh, I'm going to make myself available, I'm going to retain the pay, and you haven't put any, any flying on me, um, right? It's probably in, to the pilot's advantage to go look at open time before they make this decision. If there's no flying that fits on your on your schedule, uh, it might make sense to um, uh, keep the pay, right? Uh, if you're okay with being uh, obligated uh, simply until um, somewhere between 1500 and 1900, uh, the day prior, right? So you contact the company, you say, yeah, I'd like to be, um, put on this availability period, right? The tap coding, um, for the entirety of my trip. 
and uh, I'm available in case um, you find a trip that'll fit in that footprint, right? Um, the next provision here, the company will provide a hotel room in domicile if requested by the pilot for the night before the original trip. Um, so this is for commuters, right? Uh, if your whole trip cancels, um, you're at least going to have a hotel room uh, to make that decision while you wait through this 1500 to 1900 uh, time period, right? Um, you can make yourself available, say, check your schedule at 1500, uh, nothing was on your schedule, and off you go, right? Uh, then you're done. Your obligation is complete. Um, should the company not have another trip to which they can reassign the pilot at the time of contact, the company shall release the pilot and pay uh, with pay and no further obligation, right? So uh, this scenario is something like this, right? Uh, your trip cancels 10 days in advance. You get to pick which option you want. Release me, no obligation, loss of pay. Option two, I'll keep the pay. You can reassign me something, right? And they can work on reassigning you for the next couple of days. If they get a trip that comes up, they can place that single trip inside of the footprint, right? Notice it's uh, a single trip, right? Should the company not have another trip, not trips, not uh, parens, s, um, it's a trip, right? If they don't have a trip to put inside of your footprint, and you contact them uh, at 1500 on the day prior, and they don't have anything, you're done and done, you keep the pay, right? Uh, the pilot will be paid the scheduled credit value of the original trip or the combined pay and credit of the assigned trip or the reassigned trip, I should say, uh, whichever is greater, right? So um, that's what TAP actually is. Uh, what that eCrew TAP coding is pointing to is this whole 25K10 construct and then the two choices. So um, I just want to note here, right, uh, the underlying language here, reassignment to a trip, that's a single trip from open time. This is not multiple trips. Uh, we knew that, had a discussion about it at the time, uh, and um, of course, crew scheduling can chop trips up, put new trips together, uh, place that thing back into open time, and uh, if it fits inside of your footprint, give you that trip, right? But what they can't do is say, uh, you had five days, all of it canceled. Day one and two, they gave you one trip. Day three, four, and five, they gave you another three days. So you end up with five days of work and domicile rest in between. That you can't do, okay? Um, yep, so note that it has to happen during the original footprint, and it's just one single trip. That's what your obligation is there. What you're not obligated to, right, uh, 25K7, um, a regular pilot cannot be uh, rescheduled or reassigned to reserve, okay? Um, so if you're a, uh, a line holder, right, a uh, regular pilot, and once you're a reserve and you've been assigned to a trip, you're also a regular pilot, right? Uh, cannot be rescheduled or reassigned to reserve. Uh, there are specific there's specific language uh, for a reserve pilot to be uh, reassigned to reserve after that trip. Um, right, so after the release time and then uh, the next day their reserve obligation would begin, right? So what could happen with a reserve pilot uh, is a little bit different from a regular pilot in that the regular pilot cannot be put on any kind of reserve obligation whatsoever, right? Um, the only way they can find themselves on reserve is by picking up uh, a reserve time uh, out of open time, right? 
but not as a result of a reschedule or reassignment. Um, there is no availability period there. Okay. So um, just looking at the improper use of that tap code, right? So here we see in the pairing, um, uh, this is, you know, Sunday on the 1st of October. So this pilot is on day three of this trip, uh, sorry, day four of this trip, where there's this tap coding and then the, the Traverse City turn that was improperly placed here, right? Um, the pilot had already reported, right? He'd already flown day one, day two falls apart, and then he's dead at home. You can see the cancellation above here on day three. And then day four, we get into this tap, right? Um what we looked at, right, just the last couple of slides, 25K10, uh, that tap has to be uh, done prior to the report and not just prior to the report, but the day prior and prior to 1100, right? Uh, the Traverse City turn in and of itself is a violation of the order of assignment, right? The order of assignment, the first person that you come to is a reassigned pilot, right? But he was released in domicile on day two. And he has no reserve obligation, right? So he's not in the order of assignment anymore. Um, uh, the company might try to parse this out and point at language that says, you know, a, a pilot can be reassigned um, when there's a cancellation. Yeah, okay. Um, but there's other rules too, and some of that is specific language that applies to that, right? Um, so know that once you're released in domicile, uh, your obligation ends. Right. There is no tap. There is no reserve. The tap had to be prior. The reserve is not possible under the contract. So um, simply put, the pilot has no obligation to this Traverse City turn. And truly, the company can't even solicit for this turn. They can't place it on them uh, fishing and hoping that it'll notify. Um, uh, truly, uh, also know that during your TRP period, right, your trip protected, you can go pick up a trip, go take it out open time, right? Um, all right, so further violation of 25K5, which prohibits the combining of two trips. Um, yeah, so this provision here, right? And note these are all like kind of, you know, paragraph one, uh, two, three, four, five, right? They're all, they all work together, right? Under the rescheduling language. Uh, crew scheduling cannot combine two or more trips into a single trip through reassignment. Couldn't be more clear, right? Uh, you can't send the guy out on his five-day trip, release him in domicile, um, and then take another trip and attach it to it. Right here, 25K5, right? Um, just can't be done that way. What should have happened with this pilot, right? Uh, when was the, the last time at which he could have been reassigned, right? Reassignment prior to release was possible, right? Uh, in accordance with 25I4, the order of assignment. Um, your reassigned pilot, right? That's the first guy in the, the, the order of assignment, right? So um, up until they release this pilot, they have the ability to look in open time, say, hey, we'd like you to fly this flying over here, right? Um, but when he gets back to base, right, and uh, the release occurs, then there's no obligation anymore, right? Um, all right. Can the pilot be reassigned to Minneapolis domicile layovers? This is another grievance, okay? This is um, a, a separate issue. 
but it does play into um, how this pilot was rescheduled, right? So, or improperly rescheduled and had the tap put on them, right? Um, so can the pilot be reassigned to a Minneapolis uh, domicile layover? No, simply put. Uh, the goal under the reassignment language, right, still remains to return the pilot to domicile and release the pilot into domicile rest, right? There's provisions on how many legs that pilot can fly when he is reassigned, right? Um, just simply put, the goal is to get the pilot back to domicile and release him, right? Uh, and we can look at some definitions here that kind of... Um, Hem this in a little bit, right? Section 2 definition of a layover, 12AJ, or the Section 2 definition of a trip hour period, right? And all this stuff kind of works together, right? So uh, Section 2AJ uh, layover means that rest period commencing when a pilot is relieved from duty away from his domicile, right, until he uh, next is required to report for duty at that same location, right? So uh, that's a layover. It's different from domicile rest, and you can't do a layover in domicile, right? Here's the definition. Um, section 2CH, right? We talk about trip hours, trip hour periods, or trip time. Uh, that means all the elapsed time between the start of an on-duty period, as defined by paragraph S above, originating at the pilot's base and completion of the first on-duty period, which terminates at his base immediately prior to commencing the in-domicile rest required by Section 12B, right? Uh, so, right, your trip hour period ends early um, because you're returned to domicile early and you go into domicile rest, um, right? The pilot who is rescheduled should not have his trip hour period interrupted if such rescheduling returns him to base prior to the end of the original trip. Simply means that um, you're not done with that trip. You're not going to have something more assigned to you, right? Um, once you have uh, returned to base and are put into uh, domicile rest, right? Which is different from a layover. All right. Uh, section 25K3B, right? And this is just this language um, in the reassignment language, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm editing out the beginning of the paragraph and it doesn't fit on the screen, right? But uh, just reading the language here, right? Uh, a pilot shall be returned to his domicile and released into domicile rest as early as possible and by the most direct routing available on either company or other flights. A pilot may fly the direct routing to domicile, but under no conditions shall he fly more than two legs. The goal is to get the pilot back to his domicile, right? Get the, dom get the pilot back to his domicile and into domicile rest. So when you're reassigned, um, right, and this is just a direct copy paste out of 25K3, which is the reassignment language, um, the goal is to fly you back to domicile, get you into rest, right? Um, not string you along into, uh, you know, seven different legs, right? That is not possible uh, under the reassignment language, right? Uh, truly, the reassignment uh, allows you to operate some other flying than what you were originally scheduled for, but it is uh, to get you back to domicile and then put you back into rest. Um, notice all this language works together to stop the scenario where uh, what we saw in, you know, this the example trip where the guy was on a five day, uh, you know, it cancels on day two and he's brought back into domicile. 
Um, there was no ability to pillage open time, assign a bunch more legs to this pilot, right? Uh, the tap, totally separate and different. Um, and the crew scheduler in this case uh, kind of tried to paste a bunch of stuff together, right? Hooker by crook in some kind of, you know, stacked up card house that just ultimately fell apart, right? Uh, what happened in this case, the pilot just simply was under no obligation to return any call from crew scheduling and didn't. Um, uh, the trip, which was pulled out of open time and placed on this pilot improperly, uh, is an illegal solicitation. And because it wasn't posted in open time and is uncovered, um, is grieved separately as a separate and distinct problem. Um, you can't go hiding trips that are uncovered on pilots who haven't notified for them and who shouldn't uh, be assigned to them to begin with, right? Because they don't fit into the order of assignment. So uh, a slew of stuff, you know, kind of started a bunch of violations start to emerge when uh, the crew scheduler starts to operate off grid. But uh, we've pretty much gone through and picked it apart. Um, I'm going to open up the call to any, uh, any Q&A at this point that you guys have. Um, the better, uh, the more we can stay kind of focused on the issues we're talking about in the slide deck. It gives the learning opportunity to the folks who want to learn about it. But as always, happy to talk about all the other stuff going on. Um, yeah, with that, let's use the uh, the raise hand function here in Teams um, if you want to ask questions. Um, Kevin, help me out. Uh, star five to raise your hand on the phone. Yeah, you got that right, Eric. Star oh, five, it's the first time ever. Hand. What? <laughs> it's the first time ever. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And star six will mute and unmute yourself, too. So if you're on the phone, star five to raise your hand, star six for unmute. Yeah, I should have you put a little cheat on this slide for me for star five for the phone. That way I would remember every time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought about that once, yeah. but then I thought, why would I put star five on the slide? The people on the phone can't see the slide, but yeah, yeah. Just, just a cheat for me. That's all Good it is. Good for you. Right? Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Anyone, uh, anyone has some questions? Happy to talk about anything and all things going on. Uh, certainly there's just, there's a ton happening. So um, raise hand function or uh, star six. Pretty quiet group today. Got a lot of people on here. Uh, there's got to be some sort of question. All right, then you got it. We got a, we got a buyer. Jeff Pan. Uh, hey, here. what's going on? A whole bunch of nothing. What's hey, I, I I called in a little bit late. Can you just run through like just a quick overview? Of maybe the first ten minutes. Like I think I chimed in about fifteen after, so maybe ten minutes. Just kind of a brief highlight of what you went over. Just kind of the news stuff. Um, okay. Yeah. So. Uh, Kind of the uh, news front, right? Um, uh, the lookout for number one message, right? Yep. Really, really, um, I, I'm just, I am extremely concerned. Everyone's concerned. Um, uh, the training department is struggling, right? Um, this isn't, you know, condemnation of our instructors. They have done absolutely everything they can do to hold that thing together um it is just under resourced to a degree that is extremely problematic um 
MEC's meeting with Jude on the 6th of November uh, to follow up from our uh, our discussion with Jude a couple weeks ago regarding the training department. Um, that initial discussion, right, was it, it scheduled over lunch, right? So we had an hour and uh, 15 minutes or something to talk to Jude, right? He stayed for about two hours, totally focused on the training problem, uh, truly um it's holding him back. It's holding this growth of this company back. And I think he wants it fixed, right? What I saw was someone who was tuned in and attentive. And I would say Greg was right there with him. Um, I really, we need to see some action here. And hopefully they take it seriously and make some some pushes start to happen. Uh, the deck is truly stacked against them. Um, that training department isn't, ailing because of Matt Defoe or because of any one small linchpin, right? Uh, if you really root cause that thing, um, there's about three or four root causes and they go back six, seven years, right, to implementation of AQP. Uh, and they just never really imp implemented an AQP program. They never trained the trainers. Um, so no one ever bought into AQP and AQP culture, right? Uh, we're still very focused on uh, kind of the CNO PTS standards, the metrics, you know, don't don't lose 50 feet or 200 feet in the stall and all that stuff. Um, that is not what AQP is about. Um, sure. And, you know, AQP is about training CRM and testing CRM and making sure that our crews have open communication between the left and the right seat and start to break down that hierarchy, right? Because it's right. the hierarchy that makes us dangerous. Um, you have to work as a crew together so that, you know, the things that you miss are caught by the other person. And um, yeah, anyways, uh, training department struggling. Um, a little bit about, uh, you know, Miami C speaks for me. Um, truly, the company is getting better at their labor policy and their labor policy is extremely, extremely aggressive, right? Um, I think what I see, right, is they're upset about the amount of grievances, right? The board is holding them accountable for uh, the grievance bill, which is, you know, probably up in the three and a half to four million uh, range, right? And um, that isn't what the grievance world is about, we have an obligation uh, as representatives of the pilot group to um, make sure that the contract is followed. And if we don't file on the issues that have emerged, if we know about them and the contract isn't being followed, the company can make a claim of acquiescence, which is like a legal term to say that um, uh, because we haven't followed through on the contract, we gave up those provisions, right? So right. we have to file. Um, the company's strategy under the RLA is to make sure that we only talk about uh, the um, the maximum number of arbitrations that we can get in a year, right? So their whole strategy is uh, we can do whatever we want and break the contract. And when we do, uh, ELPA can only enforce eight things a year, right, uh, under the RLA. 
And those arbitrations are the only place in their distributive bargaining mindset where they're going to engage uh, on any kind of meaningful negotiation until you get back into Section 6. That is the dynamic that the RLA sets up. The RLA also sets up a dynamic where the two parties have to work together on interim bargaining uh, during the course of, uh, you know, operating during the four or five years in between Section 6, right? Um, And truly, that strategy is super contentious. It's right in line with a distributive bargaining uh, concept, right? But um, it does nothing to kind of move this company forward and create a competitive advantage. And that's that's what we need to be doing, right? Um, So uh, anyways, uh, yeah, the Miami C speaks for me message, really, really important, right? Um, A lot of our folks haven't seen... um, a really aggressive, um, put together labor policy, right? And when the company is, you know, seeking to take you out to lunch to talk to you on a one-on-one basis, they're they're looking to to weaponize that, right? And how that how that comes back to me, right, in my conversations is, no, no, no. I went out to lunch with the guy who was struggling in training, and he told me that you know this was good and this was good and this was good. Yeah, there's, you know, there's a couple good things, right? But there's also a sea of bad things that need to be fixed. And uh, it's all to undermine our voice uh, as a united pilot group uh, and us as your representatives saying, no, there's a problem here, right? Right. Um, Yeah. So anyways. uh, Okay. Yeah. Uh, Other new stuff, right? PBS, LOA, and ratification. Uh, that's underway. Um, we yeah, did WC ratification of the LOA, right? I know there's some contention there. Um, understand we truly faced a threat where the company would have, could have pulled out of the negotiations or strategically moved it into an arbitration, which is a really dangerous place to be with 13 open issues. Um, uh, we successfully landed the airplane, got the PBS program agreed to, and it's a good industry standard uh, PBS program, right? But we can talk about how, you know, voting and ratification and single council structures work. Happy to, to dig into that stuff. All right. um, yeah, we covered some crew mail reimbursement stuff. Uh, there's a COVID LOA we sent to the company. Um, we're looking to get some protections back so that we can have operational integrity as, you know, COVID uh, kind of spikes here in the fall and uh, waiting for a company response on that. And on the long trips, LOA, the company has agreed to meet. Um, I just I want to talk about <laughs> the need for a permanent solution here. Right. All that has ever been agreed to was a a, a trial period. Right. With absolutely no provisions uh, negotiated for conflicts. Uh, So if you have any sort of conflict, you're automatically excluded from uh, being awarded one of these lines. We'd like to have a discussion about uh, awarding these lines for three months in a row or six months in a row, um, because that takes care of all the month-to-month overlap problems. Well, you have all of these uh, transition problems, right? And this is this is why the company bought PBS, right? Is because you have a carry-in trip uh, from one bid period to the next period, and then what do you do with the trip that's awarded for the next month that conflicts with that, right? 
And if you can bid out these long trips for three months in a row, that would give the pilot the ability to push, you know, let's say 12, 15 days of work from the 1st to the 15th in one month, right? And then in the next subsequent month, push that series of work to the late side of the month and get 30 days off in a row and do a trip to Europe or something, right? Mm. Um, Bidding these out as three-month chunks makes sense. It's not complex. Uh, It's good for the company and decreases cost, right? Likewise, pushing four- and five-day trips into a pre-bid also, the cost is the same. The cost, if it goes to the regular bid or through a pre-bid, what the pre-bid does is fixes uh, who gets, uh, let's say, um, exposed to uh, six-day trips, right? Um, A six-day trip for local is very, very difficult. Uh, That's exactly what a commuter might be looking for, right? Um, But moving it into a pre-bid allows everyone to bid on all the flying, Right. Very important. Uh, The other thing that it does is it doesn't expose people who don't want to work in that way to that work, which is, I think, holding back the upgrades. Right. And it's a free way to take a look in an experimental time period. Right. Three months, six months and say, hey, does this work? Is this going to change the upgrade picture? Right. I mean, certainly if people are going to get in the water with the sharks, right, they have to know that the sharks are swimming in a different direction and that they're not going to, you know, six, eight months later, come back and change, uh, change the rules. And all of a sudden it's a bunch of six day trips. Right. right. Um, truly, uh, there needs to be um, some trial period here. We need a permanent commitment to a pre-bid eventually uh, because that's that's what's going to drive upgrades at this property. And it's free. It fixes the upgrade problem for free, right? It isn't about leverage. It isn't about extracting more value. Um, it's about trying to fix something that needs to be fixed so that this company can grow. And, you know, it doesn't change. Fixing the upgrade picture uh, in terms of negotiating, right, doesn't decrease our leverage at all, not even a little bit, because what happens is the company's going to go out, grow this operation, grow the revenue, which is going to give us more job security. Um, they can grow uh, the number of airplanes we have and ultimately the revenue that they're making. It doesn't change the fact that you have to get people in the door, attract them and retain them. Right. And that's where the leverage is to have another conversation with a, with a company that has more money in their pockets because they were allowed to grow um, and say, hey, you know, you want you want 60 people a month in class and you're not getting that number of applications. Let's negotiate about some things that will fix that. Right. We need to fix the upgrade problem. It's an existential problem. We're down to flying our airplanes 3.6 hours a day. Um, I saw an article yesterday, I think Spirit's flying their airplanes about 11.7 hours a day. That's that's really normal, right? You can you can double the revenue of this airline without putting an, a single another airplane on property, um, and just by using the pilots that are here uh, more effectively, right? Instead, we're doing uh, what they call uh, unutilized um, relief lines, right? Underutilized relief lines. We've got a bunch of people on relief lines with a couple hours of credit still. It's Oh yeah, insane. Yeah. They're yeah. not finding anything. I mean, their their planes are just sitting all over the place, and yeah, yeah. Well, great. Hey. Well, that sounds good. I'll uh, I'll I'll send you some other stuff. Uh, just 
later on. Um, but yeah, thanks for the recap of the beginning and uh, we'll talk to you later. Yeah, absolutely, Pan. Thanks. Um, anyone else? Questions, comments, concerns? Happy to dig into anything at all. Eric, I see an open phone line. I'm not sure if they just joined us or wanted to speak. Uh, phone number ending 2752. Uh, you're unmuted and you have the floor if you'd like to ask a question. Nope. All right. Maybe not. Yeah. All right. Um, kind of going and go in the last call for questions here, unless people have. Uh, uh, hey, all right. Uh, I got a John W. I, I don't know the last name there, but. Um, uh, hey there. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's John Veronin. Can you hear me? OK. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, so I'm relatively new here, and I guess this is a question pertaining to training. Um, although it is slightly off topic, uh, I, uh, was supposed to consolidate yesterday and yeah. as it turns out, some of my flying was part 91, one of which was a, uh, a maintenance, a maintenance ferry flight. Sure. And I guess that doesn't count towards consolidation. And I did have another repositioning flight. I don't know if that counts as part 91 flying or not. It was after, uh, an honors flight out of Kansas city. My question is that, uh, would, does part nine does um the reposition flights do those count towards consolidation or not? Well, um, you are in a backwater upon a backwater, and then like the river that feeds the backwater. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I'll I'll go get you an answer. Um, can you send me an email just so I can can kind of deal with it? Yeah, that's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I, did, I wish I I, I wish I knew fun. for you. Um, because, uh, hey Eric, yeah, I, I did. I did drop an argument, and it, it was it was resolved. Um, and I I really didn't get too much of an answer about uh, what what position I'm in, but it sounds like I'm going to need to maybe go back to the Sims uh, as a result of this. Yeah, that's that is the way. Um, I, I see Doug has his hand up, and maybe Doug has an answer for us. But uh, you got the floor, Doug. Yeah. Uh, in regards to the reposition flight, they do cancel as long as they're attached to. Um, getting revenue flights or recovering from a revenue flight. So, you know, doing an honor, repositioning a leg out there counts because it's operated under the 121 um, regime to get it there and back because you would have the full crew complement where we're, the ferry flight would be, you know, where we don't have the flight attendants because it's maintenance and it's just two of us. Um, reposition flights where it's just you're picking up an aircraft because it was left in, say, Tampa, get a little murky. But if you're doing it where... You operate as a part of that trip pairing, like the casino charter. You go drop people off, you know, in St. Pete, transfer over to Fort Lauderdale. That leg is going to count that Fort Lauderdale to or St. Pete to Fort Lauderdale leg will count because it's part of a 121 pairing where the maintenance of our ferry flight is strictly 121 because we don't have crew in the back. We don't have flight attendants. We don't have, you know, you're just strictly just bringing an aircraft back for another reason. That sounds about right and jives with everything I can remember. Um, yeah, John, uh, if you could copy Doug as well, because this is this is truly Doug's Doug's wheelhouse, right? Um, with the training committee, uh, he's truly the guy who should track on it and and know what's going on. And he's the guy. I'm, uh, after you send me an email, I'm going to call up anyway. So, um, yeah, uh, best to get in touch there. 
All right. Uh, anyone else? Questions, comments, concerns? Some some interest about uh, you know like PBS? We can talk about PBS. It's it's done. So let's you know get apart a little bit. Yeah. No takers on that, huh? Yeah. All right. I got a telephone number here. Uh, four two six nine. You are muted and star five to unmute yourself. Star six. Star six will unmute you. <laughs> and star five is for the hand. There we go. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I see you got your hand up, but uh, you are still muted. Um, star six will unmute you. Hey, gotcha now. Yeah. All right. How about now? Yeah. Nice and clear. Go ahead. Uh, so previous airline and current airline always been a line bidder um, with PBS coming up. Um, my question kind of with conflict bidding, I've been, I've been, I've gotten good at conflict bidding and increasing the flexibility of my schedule. Uh, something like vacation comes to mind. Uh, current situation, we can make a seven day vacation slot um, more than seven days. Is there going to be, is there talks, is there verbiage, is there whatnot um, in negotiation to help kind of either protect the pilots with that um, and or yeah. adjusting the amount of vacation we are going to be receiving? Yeah, I'm going to say that vacation is one of the weaker spots in this LOA. Uh, we're well aware we're going to have to pick up um vacation accrual uh probably in section six um which is now shoot um i mean we're eight months from early openers uh or getting focused on it anyways um let me let me explain it this way all right so the bargaining that we did uh section six bargaining in december of 21 right um we lifted a ton of stuff on this property what we didn't lift and we're well aware that these two metrics were still out there sick accrual and vacation accrual okay um there's you know a slew of other things but those two were really truly uh we weren't able to get there um in the context of the discussions that we were having um we knew that we were committing to a pbs system right and we also were fairly well aware of where the company was going with this which was uh they weren't going to talk about changes or improvements in the contract including uh things like vacation accrual um during that pbs discussion right um, and they held very steadfastly through all of the PBS discussions to that, okay? Uh, PBS wasn't a negotiation where we were going to see gains. We knew that going in. Uh, we knew that it would cause some, uh, let's say, discontinuities and kind of uh, places that would need fixing, right? And vacation accrual is definitely one of them. Some of the stuff that we will see in PBS is the ability to slide your vacation um, and add days off to that vacation, okay? 
Uh, so you can kind of extend it that way. But the conflict bidding that you could do with vacation uh, doesn't exist under uh, a PBS system. Okay. Um, not to stoop to the company's level, but as far as, I mean, I guess I could say transactional negotiation. Um, PBS, from my limited perspective, seems to be an advantage to the company. Um, where's, what's the return for us as pilots, potentially? Yeah, I think you see a lot of the return in being able to bid quality of work, right? Um, the way that we bid with paper bidding, um, we don't have uh, essentially any of the ability to say, I want to work, you know, trips that start after 10 a.m. Um, or I... Um, you know, I only like uh, trips that go through uh, Indianapolis, right? Um, that stuff we can't do under line bit at all, which we will be able to do under uh, under the PBS system. Okay, uh, pretty big difference. Uh, it it's a sea change, and yeah, there's there's going to be some you know heartburn over here from what you could do under line bid. Um, and hopefully there's some other offsets in PBS that make life a little bit better, right? Um, the way we'd have to bid, right? I mean, they, everyone has a day or three uh, during the course of a month that you need off, right? Um, doctor's appointment, something else. And you could basically go down the bid package and draw a line on, you know, with a highlighter on every day that has, you know, the 17th and the 22nd off. And then you put a check mark in the left side of, you know, which uh, which lines are biddable, right, given that they have those two days off. And that was about as much preferencing as you could do, right? What PBS is going to allow people to do is really focus in on uh, how you like to work when you're at work, right? Um, I like to only bid cargo trips, right? So use your seniority to uh, to bid only cargo flying. Right. We don't have lines right now that are exclusively cargo flying. Um, the ability for a very, very senior, I'm, I'm, this, this is the very, very senior, right? Um, we'll have the ability to point at specific pairings that they want to fly, right? I want to fly pairing M0042, M0098, right? Um, only San Diego day turns, right? That's the only thing I want to do this month. And the system will allow you to bid that level of quality of work, right? Uh, I think what you're going to see is a lot of change in pilot bidding behavior. Um, ultimately, what you're, what I've seen under every PBS system that I've worked under is uh, the senior guys will learn very quickly to bid um, efficiency, right? And they will use their seniority to bid efficiency. Uh, so you're where right now, uh, maybe the, the day turn lines are very popular, right? Um, uh, you might see some people move away from that as they see highly efficient three days, right? A three day that has, um, in excess of, you know, 21, 22 hours of credit might be highly desirable, right? Um, it's just very different in terms of the ability to focus in on how you like to work, right? Uh, we just don't simply don't have any of that with line bid. Um, 
That said, yes, the conflict vacation touching is definitely a sore point um, in terms of a loss, right? I mean, moving from a line bid into a PBS system, uh, that you're going to suffer some loss there. Uh, we tried to make up a little bit of that. I think the vacation negotiation uh, got hyper complex um, with a bunch of virtual credit constructs and the company literally just couldn't process it. Um, didn't understand it, didn't know what we were asking for. Um, had we done and proposed something that was a little more simple, maybe they would have gotten there. Uh, we struggle with this a lot, just complexity. They 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 really have a tough time. Um, and it's just indicative of the, the level of, of management that this place can attract, right? Um, we're not getting the five-star best managers that the industry has to offer. Um, there's a lot of internal conflict and toxicity and you know they'll very often i will see um people who internally are championing uh certain things that we're asking for because they understand them and they're comfortable with them and then there's the people who don't understand them and then there's a lot a lot of fear right and what that fear translates into is i'm i'm going to lose my job if i give the pilots something Right. Um, any gains for the pilot are a negative and my you know, superiors are going to look at me as having given away the farm. Um, sometimes when we're asking for things and talking about things with the company, we're I mean, uh, for example, right, not to get on a tangent here, but the um, reserve ads. Right. There's a huge amount of amount of productivity that goes wasted there. And we have been talking about reserve ads with the company for years. I mean, going back to the Portland arbitration in 2018. And just because we're talking about it and asking about it, well, there must be something that we're hiding and as a result um, are trying to extract from the company. And all we were saying is, hey, listen, you're going to give the senior guys $100 an hour raise. Now is probably the time to have that discussion if you want to talk about productivity. And they didn't understand it, right? We must have been trying to trick them. We weren't. We were just saying the company can actually make more revenue and do better um, and, you know, get on the same page with, frankly, every other company out there these days, right? Um, and you could lift that in this negotiations. We're willing to talk about it. And they continually have said no, even though, you know, their crew planners are saying yes, crew schedulers, right? Scott Fisher and crew scheduling. Yeah, we should do that, right? Aggressive reserve ads. Yeah, we should do that. Uh, OC. Yeah, we should do that. And then there's some fear, right? That comes into play. Uh, and that's kind of where vacation ended up in this PBS discussion. And we're going to have to fix it. And, I, and both sides left the table at the end going, yeah, we need to discuss vacation more. Um, you know, the arbitration date, uh, October 5th, uh, had a lot of weight, right? Uh, both sides kind of needed to get this thing, uh, done in across the finish line. Um, and that arbitration created a lot of pressure to get that done. Um, 
That said, uh, some things like vacation, which were complex and needed probably a week or three weeks of discussion, um, ended up, I would say, less than finished, right? Um, that said, the company didn't pull out of the negotiations, right? I mean, that is, uh, as I've said other on other occasions, um, one of the reasons that the Allegiant pilots organized and had a, a strike vote uh, was because they didn't get a, a PBS system that they thought was meaningful and uh, well put together, right? We have a state-of-the-art nav blue um, PBS system. It's a good system. Uh, it has, you know, some sticky wickets and it needs a little more attention for sure. Yeah, I, hopefully I answered your question. You know, you're, you're welcome to... Uh, pry at that a little bit more yeah no that that definitely uh it i mean, answers it touches on i mean a lot of the points and, and i definitely appreciate that appreciate your time um last little question is real short and simple how do you feel optimistic or other going into midterm bargaining well i feel optimistic about midterms um i, I mean it's another chance to you know kind of talk like adults and stay out of arbitration, right? Uh, we'll, we'll see if uh, that's where things end up. The, the distributive bargaining strategy is really difficult, um, right? They, that whole strategy relies on, you know, having this kind of notion of your, your uh, what they call a banta, right? The best alternative to a negotiated solution. Um, and so, from that mindset, every time that they walk into a negotiation, anyone who's doing distributive bargaining walks into a negotiation, um, they've decided, you know, if I can't get to where I want to get to, when do I pull out of the negotiation, right? Which is exactly what we saw in Portland. It's exactly how you go buy a used car, um, but it isn't really, um, let's say, the the best way to do interest-based bargaining and interest-based bargaining on the surface seems like it'd be really easy, right? Like we're going to have a win-win. We're going to talk about our interests and, you know, give each other hugs and try to figure out, you know, how we can see uh, eye to eye on what we can see eye to eye on and agree on that. But that isn't what interest-based bargaining really is. Interest-based bargaining is about, um, I want this and you want this. And, um, can I get what, you know, can I give you what you want in a slightly different way that's still going to satisfy your needs, right? And that takes discussion and a commitment to get to the end, right? And if both sides are sitting there going, well, I'm, I, you know, this is this is the point where I'm going to, I'm going to pull out of this, right? That really doesn't fall in line with the notion of, hey, I'm going to ditch my anchors, right? I'm going to stay focused on getting to the end in this negotiation. And uh, I might not like how this comes to me. And it might not be the idea that I had in my head when I started out, but I'm still getting something that's better overall. So I'm going to take that as a gain and move on, right? Or even better, uh, realize that both of you might go into negotiation uh, with your objectives and where you want to get to. And finally get to the point where you understand, hey, uh, what we need is different than what we came into the negotiations with. And let's create something different that actually creates value, right? Uh, 
um, that really is uh, where interspace bargaining starts to shine. Uh, because you you might go in wanting to talk about vacation, they come in wanting to talk about sick accruals, and you meet somewhere else and you go, hey, let's let's fix this thing over here, right? Um, I guess for me, that's that's the frustrating part is that this place is behind in many many ways. That uh, not as many as it was in December twenty one, but it is behind in some ways that are really kind of backwoods, right? Uh, country bumpkin and and it really uh those things need to get fixed that uh, this place is playing on a a level playing field even with some of the regionals that are out there right uh take for example you know uh longevity pay right um almost everyone that's out there has some construct of um hey you know other carriers that are in crisis um let's bring them in with their longevity, right? You worked somewhere in an Alpa carrier for the last 17 years. Let's bring you in on the pay scale at year 12, right? Yeah, you're going to come in as an FO with number one, you know, your normal route with seniority. Um, and you're going to bid into an FO position. You're going to stay in that FO position till you can bid into a captain position, right? But you're going to do it at 12-year pay. And when you move into the left seat, you're going to come in at 12-year pay. That's also good for us. Right. If the rest of the industry is is doing that and we're doing that um, and certainly, you know, the, say IARO, right, uh, is going through uh, bankruptcy restructuring. Um, if indeed they don't find a suitor to buy them out of bankruptcy and they wasted a billion dollars and have a ton of debt that they're trying to shed. And if that doesn't work out, you know, there's there's going to be a bunch of guys, you know, probably about 150 guys with you know a lot of experience and a lot of years. Um, who simply uh, don't have a, a safety net and uh, can't can't make good money, right? We need to make some of that portable uh, philosophically, make uh, moving from one company to another company a little bit more portable, and that's something that does that. And it puts experienced people on this property. Um, uh, certainly, you know what we hear out of our management is we can grow as quickly and as fly as much demand as there is. Um, we can fly. Tons more, right? So let's bring people in. Um, that'd be one place where you could see interest-based bargaining do really well, right? Um, hopefully that that answered some of your question. But, uh, you know, midterms um, need to stay focused. Uh, we, we need to give the negotiating committee the grace as a pilot group to go out and exercise some strategy there, right? Um that said, we want, I want, on a personal level, um, right, to make sure that every pilot on this property moves forward, right? Whether that's uh, reserve ads, there's ways to do that that don't hurt the senior pilot. And there's ways to get the senior pilot to vote on it and say, yeah, I'm okay with that in exchange for, I don't know, a raise, right? Um, a lot of that is out of context in the midterm bargaining context, just simply because it was never set up to do that. And because it does have an arbitrated backstop, right? Uh, what it was designed to do was uh, bring a management team that is rooted in distributive bargaining and a mindset in which they're going to pull out of the negotiation um, to the table with an arbitrator where they're obligated to stay and work through, uh, through, through issues to solution because there is an arbitrated backstop, right? Uh, bring them into the table to solve some things that they would otherwise 
push through um, arbitrations and make us burn our grievance arbitrations on, right? Uh, we worked very, very quickly through December of 21. Uh, it was a huge push. Um, and in doing that, there are, you know, small, distinct, um, isolated problems, you know, definition of certain things, right, that don't work. And because they were misses, because people were working very, very quickly on a giant document. And there needed to be a place uh, following, um, you know, a couple years uh, with that language functioning to say, hey, that thing over there needs to get fixed. The two parties need to come together and fix it, right? Um, uh, for instance, reserve ads is actually a good one of them. I mean, reserve ads, January of 22 was one of the first things that we grieved because um, we thought we had solved that, right? Uh, under the old language in this book, uh, people could add uh, if you were on reserve by um, uh, making the sun and the moon align on the amount of uh, minimum days off, right? There were certain scenarios where you would be as a reservist above the minimum days off, and there was nothing in the language that was prohibiting anybody from uh, adding, right? Uh, what happened was a, a copy-paste um, uh, provision in, I think, Section 4 in pay uh, there's the provision that allows uh, reservists to add over a vacation, right? And there's a note underneath that. And that note probably should have been deleted and was copy-pasted over at the end without any real discussion at the table. And that is what the company is pointing to, saying no reserves can't add. They can only add on vacation, right? So, you know, maybe the company comes to the table and points at that and says, we'd like to, you know, deal with this. And then we have a whole different problem. Um, you know, what's the value of that? And is it is it neutral to the company? And can the company extract extra value elsewhere? There's This thing is a, um, it's a knife fight, <laughs> to put it lightly, uh, the way that it's set up. And it isn't a normal negotiation where you can just walk in and pull out of it or, um, you know, I don't I don't like where we're going. Yeah, I'm done. Uh, we got to be really careful about what we put in front of uh, in front of an arbitrator or in front of the company to discuss. And the pilot group needs to trust that the MEC ultimately has everyone's best interest in mind. And then when we're saying maybe not right now, that isn't a no. Right. And um, that the strategy has to be mindful of uh, what we can actually pull off, right? Um, and we need to give the negotiating committee uh, some room to make that happen, right? Uh, just understand that um, uh, truly this MEC works tirelessly to make sure that we're moving the ball forward for all pilots on this property, uh, whether you're a commuter or you live in domicile or whether you're senior or junior, right? Uh, we go through all of these efforts to create consensus so we're not moving alone. And we don't have personal uh, agendas, right? There, there is nothing uh, in terms of, you know, my own personal desires that we're pushing. Uh, it is driven by you. It is driven by the darts and the dart system. Um, it's driven by the surveys. It's driven by conversations on the phone. 
And uh, ultimately, you know, the MEC, uh, because we are a single council MEC, has to take all that into account. And um, uh, we don't have reps, right, that are telling the uh, MEC chair and vice chair what to do uh, because we are one in the same, right? That's a, that's a kind of an odd conundrum, right? Because what you want, what you <laughs> truly, uh, what you want out of an MEC chair is um, absolutely no personal agenda whatsoever, right? Non-political uh, work on behalf of the reps to organize and give resources to and make sure people are trained, that the committees grow to be uh, healthy and um, and the, the work is done in committee and not in a, a single person war. Right. And then what you want out of your reps. Right. In in generally what you see is a little bit of like a social peacock. Right. The the people who uh, win the popularity contests. Right. Um, and some of that is done through saying things like I, I'll get that for you. Right. Whether or not they're going to or not. And um, and truly the the rep and the MEC chair uh, or vice chair being one in the same. You have a little bit of a conflict there, right? Because the rep is supposed to have a personal agenda, right? And you're supposed to like that personal agenda. That's why you elect them. And then the the MEC chair is supposed to help that guy temper that, right? But we have this weird single council thing that is complicated uh, just simply because of our size. And uh, I think the ALPA bylaws, um, you know, the discussions that I've had with uh, Bill Quet, uh, you held kind of the parliamentarian role in ALPA and national for, you know, the better part of like 20 years. Um, he was kind of, you know, 800, you really got to start looking at something like that, right? Uh, if Certainly if you break up into multiple bases and you have different LECs, you need to have reps in those LECs forwarding the issues of the pilots who live in those uh, those areas, right? Um, and then uh, the other, um, the, the metric that's actually in the, the bylaws is like 1,200 pilots. You know, I just, I cannot imagine trying to corral 1200 people as a single council it's crazy um yeah so those discussions need to start to happen right um this whole notion of kind of the benevolent dictator only goes so far um truly uh, right you, you can have a scenario where someone says hey i'm gonna do this thing for you Right. Whole pilot group. I'll, I'll do this crazy, ridiculous thing. Everyone's going to get soft serve ice cream. And everyone's like, yeah, let's do that. Um, and that becomes the the central agenda is to go execute on that. That super popular thing. Right. And you clear out all of your reps and we're off to get soft serve ice cream um, based on, you know, uh, pure popularity. Right. Um, that That's a dangerous place to be in because. Uh, does that person have any experience with a grievance process uh, or negotiating or, uh, you know, a myriad of other things that we do on a day to day basis? Um, yeah, pretty risky, right? Um, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, all that being said, too, I definitely appreciate your time. And I see that survey just came out. I haven't had a chance to look at it, but I appreciate having uh, another avenue to voice uh, my opinions, my concerns, things that I want, uh, because I understand that, yes, single let me see lots going on. So, and even these yeah. calls, I appreciate that. Well, so thank you. Yeah, that's why we're here, right? Be transparent. That grows trust, right? And that 
means that when we're talking that we're on point with what you guys want right um it's tough we're <laughs> we're in a place where there's a lot of storm and stress right and there's no one on the company side that's really listening and so all of that comes to us mostly as a message of why don't you go out and get this thing for me right which is it's difficult there's a lot of stress in that um Truly, uh, some lost sleep, right? But, you know, um, be transparent, be open, build consensus, right? Educate, and ultimately don't have a personal agenda and do what you guys want to do, right? Um, yeah, thanks for the question. Appreciate it. I appreciate the discussion. Uh, Drew, uh, I see you got your hand up. Um, uh, you got the floor. Hey, just a quick question. So you're talking about how um, you got to protect senior pilot pay with the reserve ads. That's understandable. What about just allowing reserves to participate in just giveaways? That doesn't seem to affect, that doesn't seem to drive PPE rate or anything because, I mean, it looks like there's a lot of guys not consolidating. Now you hear John's story that gets people flying that gets a little bit more income, but doesn't seem to drive down the PPE concerns that the senior pilots have. What was, what's the, what was the company's position on that? Or is that something that's been considered? Yeah. Remember I was talking about that toxic stew of, yeah, well, I mean, all, almost all of their operational people want reserve ads because it's, it just makes sense. Right. So if you're a crew scheduler or you're running, you know, you're Andy Papaleo and you're running, uh, you know, the whole of crew scheduling. Your job is on the line based on making sure that the airplanes move, right? So, like, yeah, more people want to work, let's let them work, right? And when the MEC was there as well saying, yeah, let's let them work, right? Um, and then you get an answer back like, no. I I don't know, Drew. I mean, there's a lot of really weird positions taken these days. And uh, it, it isn't as simple as doing stuff that makes sense. Um, you know, part of not having a personal agenda is doing things that it's pragmatic, right? That that work, do things that work, right? And, you know, pilots are <laughs> uh, nothing if not pragmatic, right? Almost every discussion is, well, why don't we do this? Because it, it works better. And when the company is working in a world of incremental gains and you're only going to get new things through arbitration. And so, you know, just eight things per year in those arbitrations, because that's what you're contractually required to do under the RLA. Everything's a no, whether it's good for them or not. That makes sense. I'm just curious, you know. That's an ironic way of putting there, it, right? but yeah. Like, it's the junior guys that are leaving. So, you know, I mean, it's like, I'm just kind of curious if it, what the what the company sees there, you know, if there's any intent on the part of the company to stop the fact that, you know, the junior guys are looking at the captains that they fly with and they're not happy on reserve. Why would the junior guys stick around? I, yeah. I understand. I understand where you come from on all this. It It just it's the junior people are the ones leaving. Yeah. So, right. Uh, I think before you got here, there was a town hall, right, with Jude. And, you know, the question was asked, I, I actually, I think by Dan Reed, um, 
you know, what are you going to do to stop the attrition? It's crazy, right? Um, seems expensive, right? Um, and the answer was, no, we can eat those costs. Attrition is to plan, and we, we're good with it, right? There's a huge amount of posturing that's going on there, right? That that talking point falls flat in every way. Um, there's almost no company out there that's saying that stuff. Those are Ford and Harrison talking points. And it's the same talking points that I was hearing, that you know, 13 years ago, um, right, while Endeavor was in, well, Pinnacle at the time, was in a, a death spiral uh, and losing 70 pilots a month um, and only able to attract two or three, right? Well, yeah, attrition's the plan and we're, we're good. And what what listen to what is being said there, right? Because what Jude is saying is, I can hire and churn in a trit at the bottom of the seniority list endlessly, and it just slows the growth down, and I'm still doing $50 million a quarter, so I'm good. That, that's literally what he said. That was his response. Yeah, I get it. And, and what's his incentive? I understand that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just a shame because there's a lot of potential here. Right. Oh, there's a ton of potential. I mean, yeah. you, you do like like three to five minor tweaks that don't even cost money. Like, I mean, truthfully, uh, a pre-bid, right? Uh, I mean, we got there. It's been a difficult road to get there, but I think the pilot group is kind of there. You can kind of look at that pre-bid and go, yeah, man, you know, you move the, the five and six day trips into one side and the shorter trips into another side and everybody's getting what they want. And man, I'm not exposed to the stuff that keeps me from upgrading. And now you can upgrade and you move the log jam, right? Um, awesome. I I tend to think, I, at least I, I harbor notions that uh, a lot of the rhetoric about um, attrition being to plan and having plenty of applications on file um, has to do with the fact that the training department is where the logjam is, right? Um, you can fix attrition, you can, you know, put $300 an hour on top of our pay scale and attract every pilot in the industry to come work here. But pure fact of the matter is the training department can't get them through, so they can't grow. So why make the investment right now, right? In a really, really practical, pragmatic sense, um, they have no reason to make the investments because they'd be investing in something that they can't service. Yeah, remember too, um, you know, when we did the contract in December of 21, that was, you know, three years of interest-based bargaining conversations exactly like this. Let's do this thing because this would allow us to attract people and we got to get right with commuters or we're never going to be able to grow. And like all, all of that, all those conversations have been had. Um, and culminated in that contract in December of 21 in the plan, right, was that the contract was going to come into place in January of 21. You know, um, the contract and the training department, which was being remodeled at the time and were suffering the consequences of that failure, um, were going to fly away in, you know, perfect harmony um into this growth plan that was you know 60 pilots per month 
Could they have done it at the time? Yeah, they could have. The contract was super competitive and they were moving in the right direction. And the training department absolutely failed. It just splatted, right? And some of that was um, just had the wrong people in place, right? Uh, who, who were in over their head and uh, everyone on the management side was totally focused on the contract. Uh, I mean, it was a huge, huge push. And so the trading department was kind of left with kind of the, the C team. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong analogy, maybe. Um, the B squad, right, who just didn't, didn't have the horsepower. Um, they did a bunch of efficiency studies, knew nothing about training when they were making those decisions, right? Um one of the decisions that came out of that was we're going to schedule the Sims um, 24 hours a day, right? Uh, which was to say we have productivity in the simulator that's going unused. We need to use this every day, all day long. Okay, where do you recover people, right? Oh, you can't recover people. So you have huge gaps in training and people don't get through training, right? But even Jesse was saying that at the time. He was saying, no, 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 you got to have some way of recovering. And here we are, still no blank days, which we've asked for many, many times. I mean, that, you guys may have heard me say this stuff in the past, right? But I mean, when we went in to do LOA 2302, right, which was the restructuring for the trainees, um, so that they would have a path to recover. Uh, sitting on one side of the table, you know, brand new to the company, Matt Defoe and Joe Houghton, right, together. Both of them know a ton about training, right? Will and I on another side of the square table and Eric Levenhagen on the other side. And Matt Defoe goes, I need blank days um, so that I can recover people. And Will and I go to that. It's a good idea because we've had that conversation 50 times over. And we look over to Eric Levenhagen along with Matt Defoe, and he says, I can't do that. I got to go ask OC. I mean, OC hadn't worked here for 14 months at that point. Right. Um, yeah, there's just weird fiefdoms, right? They don't understand. They literally don't understand what a blank day is. Um, we were told in negotiations uh, over, you know, a, a year of JWG work to fix what they perceived was broken, which actually wasn't broken. They just needed to follow it. But Section 18 and a lot of that discussion was on blank days. And we over and over take this, please take them. You have no way to recover your trading department. Everyone who goes off the rails or simply has to repeat a lesson will be lost. Right? And, and the training department's collapsed under that. I, they won't take them. Will not. What, what do you do with that, right? Um, yeah, Drew, eh, any more? Yeah, I actually had one. One yeah. last one last question. Sorry to bother you. Um, at what point does the company kind of become aware that people can make more in the right seat in Terminal 1 than they can in the left seat here 
their their junior and can't pick up stuff. Are they are they seeing that at all? That that the math that people are able to do the math. Or does that does that like you know what I mean? Is that applying any outward pressure on the company in the way they negotiate, or are they just this is how it's always been and this is how it will be and we are sticking to it? Yeah, I mean your question would be an interest-based bargaining question, right? And in an interest-based bargaining concept. Correct. It is, but I you guess know, you, people, if they fight dirty, you could fight dirty. You know, that's, I guess that's kind well, of. Well, no, I, I mean, to say, hey, over there, they have something that we don't have here and we should have that thing, right, in order to be competitive. That's an interest-based bargaining worldview. And their worldview is, I signed up for a contract with these costs. I budgeted to these costs and, you know, that's what I'm structured on for the next four years. And if the world changes around me, oh, well, right. Or if I grow more slowly, oh, well, that they, that concept of, you know, I should do the thing that makes sense because I should stay competitive not part of the plan right united on the other hand um right their whole mindset is man i make a ton of revenue and i'm gonna spend it to make sure that i get every single pilot that's out there and yeah delta's doing a pretty good job but i'm gonna try and beat everyone else and i mean short of driving around in an rv and a card table to employee parking lots. I mean, United is trying to collect pilots, right? They're out there saying, hey, there, there's a 15-year-long problem ahead of us, and I'm going to do everything that I can do to be competitive, right? They had an upgrade problem, too, really significant upgrade problem, right? They worked with their pilots to solve that by giving them schedule flexibility, right? And they think they're going to be able to uh, solve their entire upgrade problem with what they negotiated. And in case that doesn't didn't work, they basically copy-pasted the direct entry captain's letter that I wrote into their contract. No, so, I, get it. I appreciate your insight. I'll cede the floor now. Happy to Yeah. yeah um, you know, Jude's a smart and capable guy. He's he's built a really, really good business model. Uh, when and if he decides he wants to run it differently, right? Um, we're there, right? The the damage that's done to a relationship um, through distributive bargaining, right, is, you know, some sort of abuse we're just going to have to live through. And our job is to stay professional in that and emerge on the other side of it and say we're we're still here with uh, an olive branch and ready to engage in meaningful bargaining when it needs to happen. Um, but that bargaining is just slower and the growth is slower, which is why people don't do distributive bargaining. Yeah. All right. Anyone else? All right. Yeah, we're coming up on two hours. Um, uh, happy you all came. Thanks for listening. Uh, it's a good conversation. We'll be back next week. Pick apart another uh, another grievance. See what the language is behind it and uh, do some Q&A, right? 
uh, with that, right, send us darts about the things you want. We read them all. We see them all. And pick up the phone. I mean, I'm, I, I love the darts. The darts are great because it makes the communication much faster. But if you got to get it off your chest, right, then pick up the phone and talk. Uh, we're here. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks. Thanks.